Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John chapter 2. As we read, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited for the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days. Well, welcome to you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Brian Harris, service pastor at large here at Kerry. And uh, happy Mother's Day to you. And uh, for me and my family, it's been especially poignant Mother's Day because on Friday, I became a grandfather for the third time again. Uh, and little Ashton, a little bit more enthusiasm actually would be quite nice. I think that's actually... Um, so little Ashton Kim Chitsi was born. Uh, it'd been a very difficult pregnancy, very, very difficult actually and finished off with a 32-hour labor, and then finished off with a Caesar, so kind of not, not necessarily the way that you want everything to go, but in the end, Ashton has been born. And uh, as we're kind of texting back and forth uh, right through the process, uh, we, I guess, I thought a lot about, you, you know, what goes into being a mother, and you know, just huge respect, huge respect to kind of see everything that, 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 that actually takes place there. And I know that Mother's Day for some people can be a fairly difficult day because you maybe uh, you know, mourn a mother who's passed on or maybe the relationship wasn't what you wanted it to be and not everyone who's wanted to be a mother has been able to be a mother and it can be kind of complicated. But at the end of the day, every single one of us here today has had a mother. Uh, and I kind of thought that actually even Jesus had a mother and thought it might be quite good on this Mother's Day just to think a little bit about Jesus' own relationship with his mother. And there are little hints in Scripture. It's, it's not like such a hugely developed topic, but it, it is interesting. 
And uh, there are probably only really five main incidents that uh, we see Jesus and his mother interact in one way or another, but, but they're worth thinking about. And I'm wanting us to focus on, on the, the, the third of the incidents, the one which John has just, just read to us about, you know, Jesus turns water into wine, but he does it after his mother kind of dobs him in and kind of pushes him to him and says, says you've got to do this. This is, this is your responsibility now. But if, but if you run through the five uh, kind of little encounters, you, you get something of a sense of Mary as a mother. Uh, I mean, it begins with actually this huge price that so many people pay to become a mother. Uh, there she is. You, you, I'm sure you remember the, the actual Christmas account. She's heavily pregnant. Uh, in her country, a census is called. Uh, she and, and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem, you know, miles from where they, they lived in Nazareth. Uh, she lands up going into labor, and there is absolutely no one she knows, and she lands up giving birth uh, in just a little shed, a little cat, uh, baby's actually placed in a manger, a cattle feeding trough at the end. It's picture one of Jesus and Mary, and, and you know that this was, was not that easy. These were not wealthy parents. They didn't have every kind of resource behind them. Picture number two is like one that's kind of weird in some ways, uh, but think about it. Jesus is 12 years old, and Luke chapter 2 tells us that uh, Jesus and his parents were following the, the, the custom of the day. They, they, they go off, and they're going to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, which if you're a Jewish, is something that, that you're supposed to do. And as they go to celebrate it, Jesus goes along to the temple, gets engaged in discussion there, and Jesus and his, uh, his Jesus' parents return, uh, you know, back to their home, uh, together with the whole party, their Passover's over, uh, they're going back home, and they don't actually bother to think whether Jesus has actually joined them. And there's this astonishing little account where, where there in Luke chapter 2, uh, they're told that, you know, after they travel for a day, uh, they suddenly stop and they realize Jesus isn't actually with them. Their 12-year-old son hasn't actually gone with Mary and Joseph. And we're told that they just assumed that he was somewhere in the crowd. I mean, like how, kind of be honest, rate Mary out of 10 as a parent at that point in time. I mean, what do you give her? Come on, how many of you give her a 10 out of a 10 for that? Oh, I didn't bother to check if he was there. I mean, he's a very responsible kid. I'm sure he's there somewhere. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it was a different day. It was a different day. Yeah, they say it takes a village to raise a child. She clearly depended upon that and kind of just assumed they were all there, kind of bailing him out somewhere. But uh, to her credit, she does eventually realize he's not there, and they do find him again. But that's an interesting snapshot, isn't it? And then there's this one here, a first miracle that Jesus performs. They, 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 they're at a wedding, and uh, they run out of wine. And Mary basically says, they're out of wine, do something. And kind of, uh, she looks at him, and it's quite clear that she thinks, you're the person who can do something remarkable here. And uh, we're going to look at that a little bit more, so I won't talk about it just, just, just right now. Fourth incident is kind of quite, uh, like people sometimes not quite sure what to make of it. Uh, you find it in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, uh, verses I think it's 21 and 30, where Jesus' ministry is just getting underway. He's performed a few miracles, and large crowds are starting to follow him. And Jesus' mother and brothers go, and they, they, they say, you know, bring him out from there. Bring him to us. He is mad. He is mad and we need to look after him. I mean, it's an astonishing thing that you know, Jesus' family come and they actually claim he's insane. Uh, you know, we must take him and we must look after him. We must protect him. And you say, what's happening there? You know, this doesn't seem to be the proud mother of turning water into wine at this point in time. And, and, and probably what's happening is that Jesus is now shot into public attention. 
And let's remember that uh, Palestine had been conquered by the Romans. Uh, it was very, 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 very dangerous to be a public figure and to be standing out at a time like that. And you can imagine that Mary is watching her son and on the one hand, she's delighted that, like, he's doing these miracles, he's given this great teaching, but she's just seen the size of the crowds growing, and she is like, this will not end well. This will not, I do not want my boy to stand out in such a dangerous time. The political situation is rife, it is terrifying, and if he gets noticed, it will end very badly. And mothers do know best, don't they? <laughs> mothers do know best, because she's completely right because the next time we hear about her is John chapter 19, where it says just very poignantly, standing near the cross of Jesus was his mother. Standing near the cross of Jesus was his mother. So th th those are, I mean, there are other little snippets, but those are the five, five main accounts of, of Jesus and his relationship with his mother, Mary. And let's dig into then this middle one today, John, John chapter two, turning water into wine. Now, I, I don't know what you make of this particular miracle, um, and if you love your wine, I'm sure that's one that you, you draw great consolation from, you know, don't ever say we shouldn't drink a whole lot because Jesus turned water into wine, and, and kind of it's one of those, those miracles that people sometimes celebrate a great deal, perhaps too much. Uh, but uh, it is interesting, if, if you remember the accounts, we probably need to understand context just a little bit. So, so Jewish weddings often went on for a long time. Uh, they sometimes went on for over a week, and the poor old, you know, couple and family who, who, who did that had to foot the bill. And probably the, the greatest value in Jewish society, if you would say, what did Jews really value? Uh, probably more than anything else, they valued hospitality. Hospitality, that actually you treated the stranger well, you looked out for other people, you, you were hospitable in every way. And you can see it in this particular wedding because uh, as John records it, uh, Jesus has only just got his disciples together. So he says, and I mean, John isn't very precise in his dating, but nevertheless, he says, you know, on day one, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, his ministry gets launched, he puts some disciples together, and then on the third day, he and his disciples go along to this wedding. They've been invited to this wedding. Well, who gives a wedding invitation at three days' notice? And, and you know, sometimes maybe Jesus had been invited, and, and sometimes, you know, you say, you know, would, would you like to come to the wedding and bring your plus one with us? But with Jesus, of course, it's not a plus one, it's a plus 12, which is really quite awkward, you, you know, from a catering perspective. Uh, I mean, how would you like it if you were having your wedding today and your reception was, okay, thanks for your invitation to bring my plus one, but actually the whole group of us are coming and don't say no. I mean, tricky. Uh, but for Jewish people, of course, it wasn't just that that would have happened to Jesus. I mean, that was just very normal. You, you frankly really wouldn't have known how many people were going to pitch up. And as I say, the wedding celebrations could go on for over a week, and it was hard to know how much to cater for. And in this particular case, they've undercated, obviously, and they run out of wine at some point. And presumably Mary's mother is, is quite, uh, sorry, Mary's mother, Jesus' mother Mary, uh, is quite, quite friendly with, uh, with, with the couple because uh, the servants go to her and they, they inform her. She becomes aware that the wine is running out, has run out, and they like present it to her as a problem. And so she goes to Jesus, and, and, and listen to the account, it's, it's quite interesting, and, and again, we could understand it, but when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
do whatever he tells you. Uh, I mean, so it's an interesting little encounter, isn't it? Now, now, now first, um, it's hard to translate the Greek there just quite accurately. So, so it's when Jesus says, woman, my, my time has not yet come, it, it sounds a little rude, doesn't it? A bit, bit brusque. Uh, probably you shouldn't read that into it, just that was the way people spoke, and that's, that's, that's not actually out of the ordinary there. But Jesus does seem to be saying, oh, come on, Mom, you do realize that if I do this miracle, I'm going to be catapulted into public attention, and I'm not sure it's the right time for this to be happening yet. And Mary is just like, la, 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 goes to the servant and just do what he tells you to do. I know my boy, he can sort it out. I know that he can. And he does. Because if you remember, Jesus then says to the servants, uh, there are a whole number of jars of water, fill these jars with water, and they do. And uh, as they actually drink from it, it's the most beautiful wine imaginable, the most beautiful wine imaginable, the first of Jesus' miracles. So what do we make of this particular miracle? What, what do we make of it? How should we understand it? How should we think about it? And I wondered if we couldn't maybe almost do this little take of imagining some of the different people there and see what they might say of it. So this miracle, only John, it's, it's quite interesting. So there are four gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and sometimes they record all the miracles, or some, some, some all agree in the miracles that, 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 that take place. But this miracle is interesting in that only John remembers it. And he remembers that as being the very first miracle that Jesus does. So I wonder why he did that. And maybe we can almost imagine. So, 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 so let's imagine John is over here. So I'll, I'll pretend I'm John. And, and, and we ask him the question, John, you know, you were the only one who recorded this miracle. I mean, don't, don't want to be rude, but is it a bit of a porky? <laughs> you know, did it really happen? Uh, you, you know, you say that all the disciples were there. Why, why didn't they remember it? Why haven't they? Why isn't it recorded in the other Gospels? Why, why are you the only one who speaks about it? And I imagine that John would say something like this. Well, yeah, well, it was probably because it was the first miracle. Uh, you know, the disciples weren't looking out for miracles at that stage. And, they, and some of them actually probably did just miss it, miss that it had actually taken place. But, uh, you know, when I wrote my Gospel... I had some very, very clear guidelines that I tried to follow. I, I talk about them in and, and, and my gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. I tell everyone that Jesus performed so many miracles that, that in actual fact, if we tried to write them all down, the whole world wouldn't be able to contain all the books that would have been written. There were so many. But, but, but. That's the trouble. Jesus did perform so many miracles. And in the end, uh, you know, I had to choose which ones am I going to record. So, so this is what I said to myself. I will record the ones that help people to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so I deliberately chose to exclude some of them, went through them. I said, these are the ones I'm going to tell people about because these are the ones that will help Jesus to believe. So, so why, did I, why did this one make the cut? Why am I the only one who actually put this one in? Well, well let me tell you the truth. If you read my gospel, and I hope you do, because I actually think I wrote a pretty good gospel, but, but, but if you do, uh, it's quite heavy and it's quite intense. I mean, as you go on through, I mean, what else could I do? Jesus is just this remarkable human being, and, and so much happened, and some of his teaching is like really heavy. I mean, do you remember how he says, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, then it bears much fruit. Do you remember how he says, you know, you must take up your cross and follow me? Do you remember how he warned us that we would be persecuted for following him and, and we would die? I mean, it's, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? It's so heavy that I thought, you know, 
I wonder if this really represents the real Jesus, because as you read about him, you might think, wow, he's this intense character, and he's forever telling you how you're going to have to suffer and be persecuted, and you're going to die, and it's going to be so difficult, and it's going to be so hard. And, and I thought, hold on. I saw another picture of Jesus, and it was really a very beautiful picture. It wasn't Jesus so intense. It was, was Jesus actually a bit of a party animal? It was Jesus, they're like, they've run out of wine. I should do something about that. It was Jesus who cared and who thought, you know, these, this young couple is going to be so embarrassed, just so embarrassed if people don't, if, if people keep saying they ran out of wine, they ran out of wine. And he actually did something about that. And, and this is the very first miracle. And so I wanted to say to everyone, let your first impression of Jesus be this. Jesus at a wedding. Just, just think of him like this. So, so you think of Jesus the crucified. You think of Jesus saying, tap your cross, follow me. No, no, no. First picture. Very, very first picture. Think of Jesus at a wedding. They run into a problem and he sorts it out because he's that kind of a guy. Uh, remember he said, John 10, 10, I am come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. I am come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. And I don't want you to lose that. Hold on to this first impression of Jesus, this first miracle. It's a trivial little miracle in some ways, but it says that little people matter and that he cares about little people. That's why I've got it there at the start. And, and I think that that probably is, is pretty accurate, and that probably is why uh, this miracle is there as the first of the miracles that, that John remembers. If you were to say to Jesus' mother Mary, so, so tell us a little bit about what was going on there. How, did, how do you remember this and how do you view it? I think Mary would say, oh, I always knew that my boy was different. I knew that he could do remarkable things. I mean, I had been widowed for a number of years and he always made sure that, that we got by and he looked after us and he, he made sure that everything was okay. And... And my friends, they, they were actually quite good friends, and weddings are such important things. And I felt so bad for them that they'd run out of wine. And I just knew that he could do something. But, you know, here's the thing about my son. Uh, you know, mothers, us mothers, we just know what our children are like. And he wasn't one of these kinds of people who just pushes themselves forward the whole time. Kind of. he, he wasn't like, a, you know, watch me, I'm going to do something amazing. I, I know, you, you need just a little bit of a nudge. And, and, and the mothers here will understand that every now and then your kids, I mean, you know they can do things, but you've just got to push them into it a little bit. You can do it. I know you can do it. Don't hold back. And so, yeah, I thought he needed the nudge here. And he'd say, son, they've run into a problem. Son, you can do something about it. Son, do it. Come on. And, and, and yeah, I mean, sure, he was like, oh, mom, leave me alone. You always push me into things that I don't want to be in. Yeah, he was a little bit like that. I, I could, no, that's true. But, you know, he... He always did listen to me in the end, and I knew he would. And so I went to the servants, and I told them, told them this extraordinarily important thing. I said to them, you do whatever he tells you to do. You do whatever he tells you to do. Because I knew that if they did whatever he told them to do, it would work out very, very well indeed. And it did. And they had the most amazing one. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. And, and I guess you can understand something like that. Um, let me tell you something about myself. I, I'm, I'm the youngest child in my family. I have two sisters. My older sister's six years older than I am. And I can remember back when I was a kid, when I was about nine years old, she was 15, and she was starting to have the first of her boyfriends. And she was actually very pretty. 
uh, even I thought so, even though I was a younger brother. And uh, she would kind of had the string of boyfriends who she had discarded at, at regular intervals. Uh, but, but quite often, you know, she'd come, I was nine, and though you may not believe this, I mean, you, you're, you're going straight to please, but I actually used to be in our state gymnastics team, and I used to be a really good gymnast. And, you, you know, so don't look so stunned. I mean, I really was. I was actually really good. Um, and... Uh, and so, so there I was kind of representing our province and, and what we call it a province in, in South Africa, the Natal province, those of you who come, come from South Africa. So I would be able to do all these handstands and kind of what handsprings and headsprings and somersaults and all those, those kinds of things. And, and she and my sister would bring her, her latest boyfriend around and at some point she'd say, you know my little brother? He's an amazing gymnast. He can, Brian, just show them, do some handsprings, do some headsprings. And, and I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But actually, I really did want to do it because I really did want to show off. And she said, no, no, come do it. And Brett will be so impressed. And he'll, I, I mean, I don't know why she did it. Her boyfriend's never lost it, but at any rate. Uh, you know, and, and so I would then kind of start doing some handsprings and cartwheels and all those kinds of things. And the boyfriend would pretend to be impressed and think what a little brat I was. But, uh, <laughs> Sometimes you do need someone to kind of just nudge you into saying, you can do that. You can, like, like you can't open your own door the whole time. Sometimes you've got to do that for other people. And, uh, you know, Mary, as a mother, says to those who are mothers and those who are parents, some, sometimes you must open your doors for kids. It's, it's not actually a bad thing to do. Sometimes you do need to remind them you can do that and be proud of them and just say, you know, come on, go, go for it. And, and I think that's just what Mary's doing there. I mean, she's just saying, you know, he's not going to push himself forward, but I know he can do something here, and just do whatever he tells you to do. And, and I guess that's the wisest bit of advice that she actually gives. Just do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. And I guess that then brings us to, to the last little bit, that you know, how might Jesus himself record this, this particular miracle? And I guess if you were to say to Jesus, so what, what, what's your take on this particular miracle? Uh, Jesus might say, hmm, I mean, I don't know. I mean, interested that John would say, you know, that he didn't want to paint too serious a picture of me at all because, you know, fair enough, I had a really serious mission. Really serious mission, saving the world is quite something. And, you know, knowing that the cross lies ahead, that certainly is something. But you know what, what got to me that day? I mean, to be honest, my mom was always trying to push me into doing all kinds of things that I didn't necessarily want to do. But, but this time I realized she, she was right. I mean, I know what people are like. And, you know, I'm a Jew and us Jewish people, you know, I suppose we're the same as anyone else, but do we gossip? Yes, we do. And you know, if at that wedding they'd run out of wine, you know what would have happened? Everyone would have been like, don't worry about it, not a problem. We've had quite, it's hard as though we dehydrated, my dear, thank you very much. Everything will be quite fine. Don't, don't worry about it. It's all good, don't worry. And then they would have got home and they would have, can you believe what happened? I mean, did you see how they, they are so mean? You know, those people are not poor. They just, I mean, really. And, and they would just gossip and skin it. And I just really didn't want that to happen. I just didn't want that to happen. I thought, you know, these, this is a lovely little cu young couple. And I thought, let's, let me just try and support them and let me just try and get them to avoid that kind of embarrassment. So I thought, you know what? Mama's right. I can do this. I actually can. So why not? And I did. And, and you know, I, th I hope that people remember that because, you know, theologians nowadays, they sometimes debate 
about, about God. And they ask questions like that. I mean, if you go to that, that wonderful Vos Seminary, the, you know, the Vos Campus Morning, Morning College, best theological college in the world. Uh, if you go there, uh, you will sometimes find that, that people debate questions like this. Should you pray for parking bays? Should you pray for parking bays? Because, I mean, it, it does. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And, and, and you'll hear people say, you know, surely the God of the universe can't be bothered about things like you needing a parking bay. And, and, you know, when people, I mean, have you ever put yourself in God's position of how difficult it is when, you know, here all the farmers are, they're praying, send us rain, send us rain, send us rain. And then all the brides are praying, don't let it rain, don't let it rain, don't let it rain. You, you know, what's God supposed to do, please? And, uh, you know, get all these contradictory prayers the whole time. And, you know, it's quite tough being God, actually. And so, and so people sometimes say, you know, don't bother God with little things. I mean, God sorts out the really big questions and like that, that's God's concerns, but praying for parking bays and things like that. And, and I guess I wanted to say, yeah, I mean, true. Sometimes you don't get your own way. Sometimes it's hard to prioritize. Sometimes there's a much bigger story than your own. But, you know, one of my disciples, Peter, 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. And should you pray for parking bays? Of course you should. Should you pray about it not raining? Of course you should. I mean, sometimes God has to override and say, sorry, not possible this time. But, but hand everything to God. It, it's why I say in, in Matthew 11, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And my take on this miracle is just wanting to remind people that actually you matter. You matter to me. And if you're going to be embarrassed and if you're going to be made awkward, that does actually concern me because I do care about you. And you know what? There's something else I want you to remember. It, it just could be, just could be, that for some of you, the wine has run out. I mean, it might have run out in your marriage years ago. Maybe you just have like these TV dinners where you just grunt at one another and barely talk, and there's nothing there. It's just watery and dull and indifferent. And this passage says, remember, there is someone who can turn water into wine, and his name is Jesus. And he does actually care about you, and he can make a difference. And just remember, if your life has run out of wine, and there's nothing there, and it just seems dull and indifferent, there's someone who can turn water into wine for you. But remember what the instruction was? It's Mother's Day, so listen to mum. Jesus' mother says what? Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. And that may mean casting all your cares upon him. It might mean taking up your cross and following him. It might mean diving into life that you might have life in the fullest. But do whatever he tells you to do because he truly cares for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, on this extraordinary day, we thank you. We thank you for your mother. We thank you for the relationship that she had with you. 
We thank you for the back and forth between you. We thank you for the tender care that you show in this particular miracle. And we pray that we would draw hope and trust from it. And that we would remember that you care for us. Lord, some of us really struggle to do what you tell us to do. We are afraid. We want to hold back. We want to hold on to our own life. But we pray, we pray that you would give us the courage to do whatever you tell us to do because you care about us. Amen.